Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Six years ago to the day, Lindsey Graham tweeted, If we nominate Trump, we will get destroyed and we will deserve it. Well, The rest of us are still waiting. We're still waiting for the accountability. We are still waiting for the awful reckonings that this country needed and has needed since the South lost the Civil War. Today, or last night, rather, uh, an opinion was leaked in which Justice Samuel Alito essentially made it very clear that Roe v. Wade is over. The settled law of the land for 50 years has been eviscerated. Today, uh, I know it hasn't gone into effect yet because, uh, again, the document was leaked, changes might be made, but... um, The language in this document is so extreme. The uh, cases Alito cites are so terrifying. The language he uses to describe abortion providers is so loaded and fraught and dangerous that I don't actually have any hope that uh, any changes that are made will be at all significant. So it kind of feels like this is the first day of my life in America that I am officially a second-class citizen. You know, this is a long time coming. This is 50 years in the making, and uh, that has only accelerated since Mitch McConnell, the greatest traitor to this country since Robert E. Lee, refused to give Merrick Garland a hearing, let alone let him be placed on the Supreme Court. It was accelerated when an unfit perjurer who was credibly accused of sexual assault was allowed onto the Supreme Court because Mitch McConnell, aforesaid traitor, uh, basically got rid of the filibuster for federal judges and Supreme Court justices. It was accelerated when, after millions, tens of millions of votes had already been cast in the 2020 election, he expedited the nomination and confirmation of one of the least qualified people ever to sit on the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett. This is what happens when one party allows its most radical, its most extreme, and its most cruel and selfish wing to take over and be mainstreamed. What's One of the things that's kind of infuriating is that um, we know that at least Kavanaugh and Barrett and Gorsuch 
likely committed perjury during their confirmation hearings because they claimed that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land and was settled precedent, and there was nothing they could do about that. Of course, we can't prove it. They'll just say that their opinions about Roe have evolved or some such nonsense. But I want to make something really clear. This is not by any stretch of the imagination the first domino. Um, and it is by no sense the last that's going to fall. Um, and again, even though we kind of expect this, it's it's hard to explain what a blow this is. Maybe because those of us on the left, we we always have hope. We have hope that it won't be as bad as it's going to be. And it leaves us unprepared. Um, it leaves us always being reactive. But before I go on a little bit about that, I want to make something else really clear. This is not just about choice. You know, white feminists always center the argument about um, pro-choice versus anti-choice as being the central preeminent issue. This is about reproductive justice, which is defined by uh, Sister Song, which is a women of color reproductive justice collective, as the right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. So this decision by this illegitimate Supreme Court will not simply affect women's bodily autonomy. It opens the door to getting rid of any implied rights to the Constitution that have already been settled. Loving versus Virginia, which made it legal for interracial couples to marry. Casey, which allowed for birth control. All of these things are on the table now because we keep getting surprised, don't we? We keep fighting after the fight has not, if not been lost, the territory, much of the territory has been ceded. And this has to stop. We cannot allow this to go any further. Because what's next? Yes, probably birth control. Definitely any kind of abortifacients, like the RU46 pill. Almost certainly marriage equality. LGBTQ plus rights are out the window. We see this happening at the state level day after day after day. So we need to pick ourselves up and realize that democracy and our rights as fully realized human beings are on the line every moment. Republicans are allowed to rig the system and this illegitimate court is allowed to continue ruling on our rights as citizens of the United States of America. Because what we know now is that as for Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, Starry Decisis can fuck right off.
There are 190 days left until the 2022 midterm elections, which are clearly now the most important elections of our lifetime. Uh, welcome back to the strategy sessions, which um, are here at youtube.com slash Politicon every Tuesday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. And I, you know what? I, I just want to get right to the panel. Uh, joining me this week are Kurt Bardella, former Republican and current political strategist, journalist, and country music maven. <laughs> uh, Eric Goldman, who is not a professor at Santa Clara Law School, but is a political strategist and consultant who works with some of the most competitive state and national Democratic campaigns. Uh, and in 2018, he managed Missioner Governor's race for Gretchen Whitmer and Cliff Schechter, Democratic strategist, author, and activists. So, dark days, my friends. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, obviously, I asked you guys to be on before yesterday's decision. And um, I have to be honest, like if I had known about the decision ahead of time, I'm not entirely sure I would have wanted a, a panel of three men. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, the, what we need to understand, though, and that's what I was trying to get at in my very incoherent way, because I'm just so over, I'm just, I'm so devastated by this on so many levels uh, that it's hard for me to be articulate about it. But this is not simply about choice. This is even not simply about the horrific and, and heretofore unimaginable thought that women in America are no longer fully fledged citizens with all of their civil rights intact. This is about turning America into something we will not recognize in two years if we don't put the brakes on. So, Kurt, I, you know, I want to start with you. Um, how? I don't I, I guess I don't I don't really want to talk about how this happened, but <laughs> how are we going to. You know, on the one hand, I feel like we need to we need to channel the anger and we need to use it. But on the other hand, I, I also feel like we need to stop being behind the eight ball. Um, so can you speak to either one of those things and kick us off here? Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, and, and second of all, I, be- I believe from what I've seen on Twitter, it's your birthday. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of birthday wishes for you. Yeah. So obviously, uh, despite the doom and gloom of today, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting because I do think how we got here is important and instructive. Um, and, and without relitigating the entire history, I think it does show, though, what happens when we let certain things go. Mitch McConnell held hostage a Supreme Court seat. He held yeah. hostage Merrick Garland's nomination. And when I hear justices whining about norms being broken by this leak. I think to myself, what about the norm of having a vote on the president's Supreme Court justice nominee, which the Republicans threw out the window? This is what happens when norms get trampled on and there is no consequence. Look at January 6th. If we do not hold people accountable for that, it will happen again and it will be worse. We have what, what, What's happened right now with the Supreme Court the breadcrumbs for that were laid down years ago, and now they're finally coming home to roost. 
And so for Democrats, and I see a lot of Democrats on social media throwing up their arms in despair, distraught. And I understand that emotionally, but let me tell you something, Mary, that is the reaction the Republicans want you to have. They want you to feel despair. They want you to feel like there's nothing we can do. They want you to feel like it doesn't matter anymore. Just give up and go home. They're counting on that because the DNA of Republicans and Democrats, frankly, it's different. As a former Republican who's now a Democrat, I can tell you, when I sit in strategy sessions and meetings with my fellow comrades, I, I think to myself, God, there's so much defeatist attitude here. There's so much, oh, shucks, it's over. Let's just give in to that feeling. Let me tell you, Republicans never feel that way. Even, right. even when they know they're going to lose, they never feel that way. Um, and I think Democrats need to use this moment to, to forge ahead, to forge forward, uh, and to fight. This is a sounding of the alarm that if you were thinking about sitting this next election out, let me tell you something. You need to vote as if your life and livelihood depends on it because as we've seen, it does. And if you're a woman in this country, it really does. Yeah, I, there's so much there. Um, so I just want to take a quick step back and and be clear. When I said this is not the first domino, um, what I mean is uh, people of color, their rights have been under assault for decades, thanks to John Roberts, who owns all of this. Uh, you know, his egregious record on voting rights, um, what we see continuing to happen with extreme gerrymandering, even more extreme voter suppression, and of course, voter subversion, which we'll get to later. So, um, you know, despair is not an option. I mean, it's okay to feel hard. It's it's horrible. But um, Cliff, if we don't Mm -hmm. take this as uh, our cue, to get on the war path, I mean, what else is it going to take? I don't know. And, and again, like, you know, it's it's interesting hearing Kurt talk because I've always felt like I was the Democrat in some ways that didn't fit in because I hear that I see Republicans say things and I want to go and metaphorically punch them in the fucking face every time. Right. Um, I, I mean, the, the, the sort of weakness, the wimpy answers, the, the gentleman from the other side and the, oh, my colleague <laughs> who will do this. And, you know, Kurt brought up McConnell. You know, McConnell, what he did with Merrick Garland was one thing. But instituting the filibuster is something as a regular thing that you needed 60 votes when I mean, he used it, what, 90 percent of the times it's been used. It's been used by McConnell in our history. I mean, these guys started breaking norms, attacking our form of government. Um, using really sort of almost stochastic terrorism in the way they describe Democrats talking about us murdering babies and this kind of bullshit. You know, this stuff started with Newt Gingrich at the very least in 94 and and has been going on. And we always respond this way. Oh, you know, our colleagues on the other side, they're just getting a little bit carried away and whatever. And I'm always the one who's saying we need to get out there and punch back and punch back hard you did something and I retweeted it. And I'm not just kissing your butt because it's your show or your birthday, Mary. But <laughs> oh, you had something up fun. On, on Twitter and I and I and I retweeted and I'm like, this I, I, my response was this is messaging because you were like, they're gonna kill more women, where women are gonna die in alleyways, where women are going to, to suffer from mental health, where women are going to go go broke. Where women, tell people what is going to happen. Tell them the good that we are doing, which we don't do either. 
Biden only has the, the approval rating he has because we're never talking about the 3.6 the percent unemployment. We're never talking about the incredible recovery because we passed the, you know, on our own, the COVID bill and got shots in people's arms and got all these people back to work and got checks in their pocket and child tax credits. I mean, we never we don't we don't create a narrative where, where it's quite simple. We're the good guys. We're here. We're trying to help you. We're trying to have good government and help you. And we're these evil fuckers. I'm sorry. Are every minute are trying to take control of your body. They're trying to take money out of your pocket. If you're a corporation like Disney who says something they don't like, they're trying to destroy you. I mean, it's the these narratives are so easy because they're true. And yep. again, if I'll just sum it up because I, yeah, I don't want to filibuster here myself, but I'll just say like, if we can't get it at this point, if we can get people to get on message and get together, and we have a couple good ones, I'll see if other folks agree with me. You know, some of the, I'll just say quickly, some of the oldest folks there have been phenomenal legislators in Congress. But right now where the energy is, it's the Eric Swalwells and the Ruben Gallegos, yeah. Gen X, and the older millennials who know how to talk, they know how to use modern technology. Go read their Twitter feeds and tell me yeah. they shouldn't be controlling our messaging and strategy right now. Yeah, uh, and I, I think the tweet you're talking about, I said this Supre- Supreme Court is pro-rape, pro-incest, anti-women, and anti-child. And, you know, you can say the same thing about all of those states that have been essentially floating the trial balloons from Texas yep. to... Ohio, where I am right here. Ohio, I was forget, I think not Minnesota, maybe. Not really sure. Sorry. Um, so, you know, this... <laughs> This is this is uh, if anything ever needed to be met head on, it's this. Um, there's, I don't think there's anything we can do about the media. I think a large part of uh, the reason the, the positive messages aren't getting out, uh, for example, people think the Republicans are better on the economy. Well, that's down to the media. That's absurd. That is so beyond absurd and obscene. I can't even wrap my head around it because if people don't understand what's going on, it's because their media are failing to explain it to them. Um, but, you know, let's let's look at this um, electorally, Eric. Uh, it seems that the Democrats... And again, just to remind people of the premise of this this episode of my show, the strategy sessions, this isn't about bashing Democrats for the sake of bashing Democrats. This isn't about policy. This is about making sure that Democrats do everything they ha- can strategically to win and what we as voters can do to help them win. So, Eric, it seems uh, that elected Democrats just never quite seem to understand how to strike the balance between um, helping people understand the good we're doing, but also helping people understand the incredible danger we're in. Yeah, I, Mary, I don't think you're wrong. And I think that also we as Democrats, we often we like to explain things or we like to make ourselves <laughs> feel good. And Republicans like to win, right? They, yep. they, they like to beat us. And we have to do better and we have to do better this year. And the, the, um, the stakes couldn't be clearer. I think that I, I, I believe in like a very transactional level of politics. What does that mean? I, I, I believe in we are at our best when we're talking about how are we making people's lives better? What are we doing for you? And I think Cliff um, 
made a good point about uh, what this means. And I think that we need to be very clear about what this means and not get lost in some of, you know, this is breaking precedent, which of course it is. And, uh, you know, sort of get into into the legalese of it. This is about women who are going to be punished by elected Republicans. And what does that mean? It means that if if these laws in these Republican states stay in the books, that women could go to jail for getting an abortion, doctors could go to jail for giving them the care that they need, uh, women will be harmed, women will die, uh, which is what happened before Roe v. Wade was law on the books. Uh, that is the Republican agenda here. And I think also we need to be clear that this isn't just a Supreme Court, right? That, that this isn't a decision from a court. This is a decision um, from a Republican apparatus, from Republican legislature, legislators uh, federally who, uh, Mary, like you said in the beginning, uh, you know, they didn't hold a they didn't hold a vote for Merrick Garland. And, and Mitch McConnell knew what he was doing. We've talked about Mitch. Right. Mitch didn't want Donald Trump to be the nominee. Right. They would have been happy with Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush or whoever. Mm-hmm. But he's been very clear. He got on board with Trump. Why? For this. Right. For the Supreme Court to roll back Roe v. Wade. And this is part of the plan that this isn't like some outcome like, oh, the court. Yes, obviously, the court is part of this Republican apparatus, but Republicans got us here. They own this. And I think we need to be very clear about making them own this this election cycle. Every day, Democrats should be talking about this. We should be getting our opponents on the record. We should be holding them accountable. And we shouldn't let, you know, the the folks like Susan Collins who said, oh, I never signed up for this. Yes, you fucking did. We all know <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but they we, told we her all, they weren't going to do that. I mean, you right, know, yeah, which we know right. any better. And Donald was going to learn his lesson. Right. right. Sure. Uh, yeah, Eric, it, it, it is, it is uh, entirely true that this is a Republican Party that is policy-free. They believe in two things, uh, giving tax cuts to their extraordinarily wealthy patrons, uh, overseers, masters, whatever you want to call them, and um, stuffing the federal judiciary with a bunch of Amy Coney Barrett clones. Um, so, Kurt, the other thing the Republican Party does, and I just want to make it really clear, this is not a party of conservatism. Uh, there's nothing conservative about this party. Uh, this is, I hate saying this, a party of Trumpism, and uh, that will outlast Donald uh, you know, yeah. if he goes away, that doesn't mean anything's going to change. They've tasted the blood in the water. They see their only clear path to power. Um, and unlike Democrats, Republicans are much, much, much better at co-opting language. When I heard that Republicans were calling the leak an insurrection, my head almost <laughs> exploded, you know, just as when they didn't want to wear masks or get vaccinated to protect other people themselves and their children and their friends and their family from dying from a very contagious, deadly virus. They said, my body, my choice. It's just absolutely infuriating. So how do we um, deal with the fact, Kurt, that it seems like the things they do that demoralize us, just energize them so much. And it always feels like we're kind of fighting this uphill battle because, you know, that's what it is to fight an enemy that has no problem lying, has no problem making shit up, and has no problem 
taking away the rights of people that aren't important to them. Well, and that's that's like the tactical advantage they almost have, right? They don't they don't stand for anything. They're not held to any standard of any kind. They they lie as easily as they breathe, and lying is really the heartbeat of this Republican Party at this point. And I think for Democrats, again, it's it's when confronted with these things, you got to get confrontational. Democrats cannot be afraid of confrontation anymore. They cannot be afraid to get up in your grill and drop the truth on them. So when Republicans start using words like pro-life, I think the first thing out of anyone's mouth, if you're a candidate, if you're running, if you're on a debate stage, if you're in their district is, hold on, I call bullshit on that. Right. Because being pro-life means you care about life. So why did you not give a shit when everyone died of COVID? Right. Why did you, why aren't you giving health care to people who need it, which keeps them alive? Why are you not willing to give people a living wage? Why are you not willing to do paid parental leave? Why are you not willing to do health care? It's like, you know, all this talk about the unborn, what about the people who are alive? Because you guys don't give a crap about them. And when you talk about the sanctity of life, give me a freaking break. And, and, and let's not lose sight of the incredible hypocritic, hypocritical right-wing evangelical nonsense here. You know, whenever the opportunity strikes, Republicans love to throw the Bible at us as an excuse to justify their evil. And, and, and I say this very often on Twitter – where is your concern for Jesus Christ when your leader was banging a porn star while his wife was pregnant with a child? I would love for someone to say that to a Republican the next time they try to thump the Bible at them. Imperfect vessel. Did Jesus talk about that in the Sermon on the Mount or am I? Well, it must have been one of those. I, I missed that catechism. Yeah, I haven't read the Bible in a while, so maybe yeah. maybe it's been amended since I've read but, it. But yes, exactly. But, you know, Kurt, I just want to stick with that for one second. First of all, it infuriates me that um, we have to talk about religion at all because uh, it should be completely irrelevant. And I defy any anti-choice person to give me a non-religious, actually scientific reason that abortion shouldn't be legal, safe, and widely available. But that's a different issue. Why is it that it seems that when, you know, as soon as Republicans raise uh, you know, the specter of religion, same thing happens with gun rights. Mm -hmm. um, Democrats just, oh, you know, religion, ooh, we can't, we can't talk, even though the people professing to be holier than thou and me and everybody else are the least Christian or religious people on the planet. I, why did Dems sh shy away from that? You know, somewhere along the way, Democrats decided that there were certain themes or issues that, that, that it, it's bad for them to talk about that they can't win on, uh, you know, whether it's religion, whether it's just patriotism after 9-11. They've surrendered these things. And, and, and I, don't, I don't understand it for the life of me why they do that. I think it's a huge mistake. Yeah. Um, the one person who I've seen effectively communicate when it comes to religion, is Pete Buttigieg, uh, yeah. who has never backed down from that. And that's he should write an instruction manual that every Democrat should follow about how to talk about these things. Um, but I think part of it, too, and, and Cliff touched on this, there is a massive generational divide in how certain politicians and Democratic Party of a certain age think and communicate about issues and how other ones do. And I'm with Cliff that we need more people like the Eric Swalwells or like the Sean Patrick Maloney's. Uh, we, we have some very dynamic we have some very millennial. We have some very uh, 
politicians who frankly didn't come up in the country club good old boy network that is Capitol Hill who just don't give a shit about those things and just kind of speak the truth. And and I, yeah. I, I like, like like Cliff said, that's what we need. There's a for all the great things that we have with people like Nancy Pelosi uh, and our and James, James Clyburn and, and the leadership that we have. Let me tell you something. Almost everybody in our Democratic Party leadership is like over the age of 70, man. I mean, that's 75. I think that, it's 80 at this point. Yeah, it might be. I, I was being generous. Uh, like, <laughs> so but, like, that's a massive problem when you talk about how to communicate in the 21st century because what we're up against, people like Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Matt Gates, like these are people who are like 20, 30, 40 years younger than our yeah. leadership and yeah. who have perfected the art of weaponizing the platforms of the 21st century yeah. to spread their venom. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I uh, very much admire uh, Congressman Trump Patrick Maloney, but he tweeted something really not good today. He basically was like, it's, this isn't about the filibuster. This isn't about, this is about voting. And people are like, we, we did vote. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> um, I mean, the point, of course, is we need to keep voting. Like, democracy is not, a, it's never a done deal. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason we find ourselves in this terrible, terrible position we're in we take too much for granted and the right never seems to um mm-hmm. well that's still, kind of the trap too mary it's like that yeah. sentiment of oh we gave you a majority in the house to send the white house and what good is it done it's like well wouldn't it be nice if we had a majority that was a little bit more than just joe manchin and chris kristen cinema wouldn't it be course. nice if we had more than yeah. a plus four in the house Absolutely. Absolutely. But it needs it needs to be explained in those terms. You can't just say it's not about anything else but voting. We're like, "Uh, yeah, but come on, guys, because a lot of people don't understand the nuances. And a lot of people, you know, all they hear is it's Dems in disarray when really 96 percent of Democratic senators. And and that's where your point is spot on, Mary, where that's where the media just fails everybody. I mean, it's abysmal. Exactly. So but, you know, getting back to the. utilizing younger Gen Xers, older millennials, et cetera. Um, Cliff, I, uh, as I'm sure you all are, have seen, um, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow uh, gave a quite impassioned speech uh, in response to uh, wonderful Republican colleagues who uh, uh, flat out accused her Yep. Of being a mm-hmm. groomer and a, you know, pro pedophile, and McMorrow pushed back. I actually interviewed her um, about not just the speech, but about you know what, <laughs> why Democrats wait, <laughs> why they're reactive, you know, why they have like I think it was actually Eric Swalwell, which was really disappointing. Like, you know, I don't want to go. I don't want to deal with the pedophile thing. We just need to tell people all the good we're doing. Like, seriously, if somebody accused me of that. Oh, my God. (laughs) I wouldn't be like, oh, you know, it'll just go away. Nobody's paying attention. It's like literally one of the most horrible things you can say to another human being. So there's that issue. And the other thing McMorrow did, and it's one of the reasons why I'm actually uh, even though this wasn't planned because, you know, I invited you to be on before the Supreme Court issue. Um, I'm glad it's three men on this panel uh, on this, uh, you know, the day after uh, it became clear that this illegitimate Supreme Court is going to take away the rights of women and make us second class citizens because she 
very explicitly twice mentioned her uh, group affiliations. And, you know, she's a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom, Um, with the exception of woman. (laughs) Those are all incredibly privileged classes. Mm -hmm. And her point, Cliff, is Mm -hmm. we need to be allies because choice isn't just about women. Voting rights aren't just about people of color. All of these things need to be... um, supported by those they don't immediately seem to affect because if we are Americans who believe in democracy, they do affect all of us. Right. Well, first of all, do we care about other people? Do we have compassion? Do we have empathy? But but also the whole point of a republic, if we believe in it, is the common good, you know, and is that we all benefit, the, you know, in the public square from doing good for other people. And this is what Republicans on the far right started tearing at with the whole, you know, I won't wear my mask. And I mean, it started long before that. It started with, you know, a lot of it with guns and other things, but, you know, we're leaving, we're, we're leaving behind that contract. You know, we don't, we don't care what the public good is. We're going to be selfish and do what's best for us with taxes, with guns, with masks, with whatever it may be. And, and no, I thought she was so powerful there. Cause again, I do think, I think people who have that privilege, look, I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm a white straight guy, but I was on the board of Planned Parenthood here for two years fighting these fights. I hate bullies and they make me want to fight them. And I I guess I have a hard time understanding people that don't react that way, you know. And so, like, you know, Mike DeWine, who may have been our governor, who may have been a little bit better on COVID and a few things, has been awful on choice from the very beginning. And, you know, he's been awful on guns. And so he's made me want to fight it out with him, you know, the entire time he's been here. So, again, we, we should all want to to work together to fight these fights. They're all connected, you know, and, and whether we that narrative, that frame we put it under is the common good or, it, you know, something else, however it is you want to frame it. If we fight back against some of these battles, we will win all of them eventually. If we ignore any of them, don't ignore, you know, when and somebody calling you a pedophile. Don't think you can't win an argument over religion. I mean, it offends me, like, as an American, it offends me as a Democrat, and frankly, it offends me as a writer. If somebody writes speeches, let me, let, you know, religion, let me, let me sit here and, and tap into Thomas Jefferson and freedom of religion as the, the bedrock, you know, foundation of this country and how you're attacking the, the sort of very premise of this country when you're saying that we need, we all must be Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much in our history. There's so many important emotional touch points you can reach back to. And any good speech, I mean, look at the I have, you know, I have a dream speech and look at what Martin Luther King. I just use that because it's one of the most famous speeches. Look at the emotion he tied it to and look at how he tied what he was saying to the history of the United States with the very quotes. You know, we hold these truths to be, you know, I mean, he, he that's what he did. And that's what we should always be doing because right. we're the ones who are Americans. We're the, one, the people who want tolerance, who support others, who believe in the common good. You know, on all these things, that is the American thing, not these other people. Absolutely. And Eric, I want to get back to something that uh, Kurt touched on, because I think it is really important. Democrats always cede too much ground to Republicans. And we do this um, by letting them 
co-opt our language or letting them take language that we then just, you know, run away from. Um, so I was talking recently, it might've been last week. Um, we were talking about the concept of patriotism, the concept of the flag and, and somebody, you know, referred to another Democrat as a patriot and, and like as a lifelong liberal progressive Democrat, like, like the hair on the back of my neck <laughs> stood up because, you know, Republicans have taken that word and made it synonymous with jingoism. So they've got the word patriotism. They liberty, freedom. Liberty. They take the flag. Uh, they pretend that they give a shit about our um, service members, which they clearly don't. Uh, they use the term pro-life, as Kurt also mentioned, which is also bullshit. Uh, they are anti-life. They're anti-choice. So what do you think it's, it's useful and important to do what we can to take back that advantage in a way that's actually valid and organic? I do. Uh, and, and I, I agree with how you put it, Mary. I agree with what Kurt said. I, I, I think we should even go further than that. Like, let's co-op some of their language, right? Like, and, and let's not be what, when the hair stands up on the back of your neck, like let's, let's work through that. Let's not let that uh, you, dissuade us from taking the language uh, that they've co-opted first uh, and, and taking it back. And I, I, I think that's incredibly important. And then I, I, I think if we're going to win tough campaigns around the country, especially in places that are maybe not voting for Democrats uh, or haven't voted for Democrats in, in numbers that they, uh, that, that we need them to places like where, where Cliff is in Ohio. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we need to change how we talk. And, 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 and I think we need to figure out what are the values of the voters who we're trying to communicate with and we need, and how do we speak to those values uh, and not to take this fully back uh, to where we we began the conversation, but I think that this is that this is an important time and a, a good time to do that because what the Republican Party is doing right now with Roe uh, is not what most people want, and it's not you've seen polling on this. It's not what most Republicans want. Right. This is extreme right wing, dangerous stuff that will punish women and that will result in. Uh, pretty heinous things like women, if the laws stay in the books, going to jail uh, and returning to the days where women can be hospitalized or die from getting a back alley abortion. Uh, And, and, and so I think, you know, we need to take this. uh, It obviously is a dark day and uh, you know, we're, we're living through tough times, but uh, we need to be very candid about that. We need to, uh, you know, explain what's happening. And, and I think if we can do that in ways, you know, like Kurt had said, and, and not letting them be the pro-life people. Um, and, and right, because that, that's already a frame where they've sort of like won that, like if they're pro-life and we're pro-choice, I mean, a choice is important, but a life is very important. And like, 
that's not what this is about. And and this also isn't just right. about choice. Like you said in the beginning, Mary, I mean, this is about uh, women going to jail. The, 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 there are real consequences here about women dying. These are real things we're talking about. And I think that we need to be very clear about that. And, and yeah, I, if we can use the language of patriotism, if we can use the, the language, like Kurt said, like uh, the language of religion, the, the language um, of the voters and the people that we need to reach, we should do that. Absolutely. You know, and the thing is, too, I think this is an opportunity for Democrats, especially the ones who are campaigning in these kind of swing districts, districts that Biden won in 2020, that Trump may have carried in 2016, to go out there and say, you know what? I'm a small government Democrat. I'm tired of these big government Republicans telling us what we can read, who we can love, what we can do with our bodies. Uh, If they don't like what we say, they want to cancel us and tax us on top of it. Like, I think Democrats need to get aggressive in using that language. Let's take back the language. The idea that Republicans are for small government is utter bullshit and nonsense. Republicans have presided over massive government expansion over the years, massive government spending, and now they're trying to legislate what we can do in our own homes, in our own lives, with our own bodies. That's how Democrats need to start talking about this. I want every Democrat out there just going on the stuff and saying, I'm a small government Democrat. I miss the days when Republicans talked like they were actual small government conservatives. That doesn't exist anymore. They're not. They are the party of big government. And they're the party of telling us what we can do with our bodies. And I'm not down with that. And frankly, if I can add it at this point, you know, in some places like where I'm sitting right now, quite likely in a bunch of other states, they're the party of rapist rights. I mean, what's going to end up happening is rapists are going to have the right now to demand to spend time with your, your forced birth. They're going to be in your life men who committed domestic abuse against you, men who've attacked you and raped you. And, and this is like, that, that's who they're defending. So again, they remember they grabbed like these little issues like partial birth abortion that don't exist. And they wedge, you know, they use it as a wedge to win moderates or whatever. It's, you know, why do we not do the same thing? As far as I'm concerned, I would walk around and I would, I would remind people that they're the party of rapist rights in the end. They want what they want rapists out there to have the right to go to force themselves into your life and to, to spend time with your child. That's what they want. Yeah, pro-rapist, pro-incest, anti-women, anti-child. It's it's really that simple. And and also pro-fascism. I mean, we're not... I, I think given the fact that uh, they're banning books, they're burning books, they are punishing corporations that don't believe, that don't agree with them, and the flip side of that will be they will reward corporations that will tow their party line. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're there. We're talking about fascism. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I want to, uh, wrap up with, um, messaging, but before we get there, I like for, uh, because I think it's so important to help people understand like which races they should be paying attention to. You know, obviously all of the people in the house are running, um, we have some really important gubernatorial races, the Senate hanging in the balance, but we also really, really, really need to do something that Democrats are terrible at doing and focus on local races and attorneys general and secretaries of yeah. state races. Yes. Kurt, can you start us off yeah. and flag some of the races that you think have the, uh, have real electoral significance in 2022? Well, well you look at the electoral map for 2024 and Republicans have made a concerted effort to nominate 
lunatics who believe in the big lie to try to have them hijack our election process and have them administer our elections, right. whether it's I'm looking at uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Colorado, Arizona, uh, Arizona Georgia. Uh, yeah, what happened on January 6th wasn't the end or culmination of something. It was really act one in a three act play. Act two is the midterm elections. Act three is November of 2024. Right. Uh, everyone needs to understand that this election in November 2022, it could be the last free and fair election we have in this country because that's what Republicans are really aiming for. If, if Republicans are allowed to install people who believe in the big lie, who are campaigning on the big lie, if they are allowed to oversee our elections in 2024 – what they tried to do on January 6th will be a walk in the park for them because they will have all the levers of power to make it so. They won't need an insurrection That's right. in November 24th. They'll just do it and, and we'll be fucked. Yeah, it'll be a bloodless coup yeah. for sure. Um, Cliff, any races yeah. you have your eye on? Well, I'd start by saying, you know, the Republicans are so good at finding these sort of centers of power right, where they can extract an inordinate amount of power. And we never bothered to sort of do that research and find out. I mean, let me give you one example. Again, it's here in Ohio. I happen to know it. But, you know, we've been, and we're having this fight right now because Republicans are ignoring what the Supreme Court is telling them to do uh, when it comes to, to gerrymandering, to ungerrymandering. Mm-hmm. And the reason it got that far is because we have something called an apportionment board is the way it works in this state. And that will include the governor, the secretary of state, You've got the two leaders in the state house, state senate, but the state auditor. And people will be like, who the hell cares about the state auditor, right? I mean, who would? But in this state, you have to. Right. So what I'm saying, I mean, I can give a couple races. I think Val Demings in Florida can can take out Marco Rubio. is terrific. I'm biased. I think Tim Ryan is fantastic here. Yep. I think any of those nominees, I think Pennsylvania is going to be, you know, a, a huge race. And I don't want people to sleep on, if we're talking about Senate races, Maggie Hassan and make yes. sure we protect her. Up in New Hampshire, you know, um, House Cortez races. Masto, too. Yeah, yeah. Mark Kelly in Arizona. Mark Kelly. I mean, yep. Warnock, right? I mean, House races, it's harder right now because, you know, in some states that the boundaries aren't even set. It's hard right. to know, you know, what's, you know, but certainly any of these open swing st- seats we need to, to target. And we need to look at state legislatures because there's a number of them where, you know, the Republicans have a one or a two seat lead. And yeah. that goes, you know, or four or six, but whatever it's doable. Like we need to look at these power centers, look at how redistricting works in certain states, look at how budgets work and these various things. And we need to, to make sure we target those races. Yeah. Eric, in terms of um, those state legislatures and the gubernatorial races, do you see any that we should really, really be focused on? Yeah, I, uh, and the races that that folks talked about that Kurt and Cliff mentioned I, are incredibly important races. Yep. So I, it would be hard to disagree with any of those. Uh, I think obviously those five states uh, that Biden flipped from Trump that were mentioned, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, Georgia, and uh, Arizona, uh, mm-hmm. you know, th- those all have statewide races happening uh, this year. Uh, I'll have governor races that people definitely should be paying attention to and investing in. 
Um, one of those states, Michigan, uh, where I worked uh, previously for uh, for Governor Whitmer, uh, there's been an independent redistricting committee uh, that that passed new lines in Michigan. Uh, that means the state legislature for the first time is going to have uh, both the state Senate and the state House. Those districts are going to be up um, in a non-gerrymandered district. So, uh, you know, it's obviously not as not as sexy a race as, as a governor or U.S. Senate race, but uh, these are races that that can really matter. And uh, the certification uh, in in 2024 of elections, and if we can pick off state legislative chambers uh, in places like Michigan, I, I I think that would be a great opportunity for Democrats to invest in. And for those uh, folks who you know make donations and like to contribute, uh, your money goes far, right? Your money goes yep. far in, in yep. state legislative races and state caucuses. Uh, so definitely would do a plug there. Um, I would say, and and just because so much of this conversation has been centered about, you know, kind of, uh, you know, being both fighting, but also uh, doing what we need to do to win. Um, and and this is a race that uh, that I've I've participated in, but uh, the last uh, last weekend or, or two weekends ago, the Utah Democratic Party. Uh, decided they voted at their convention to not put up a candidate and instead to back Evan McMullen, mm-hmm. who is running as an independent Love in Utah. A Democrat yeah. is not going to win in Utah, right? right. Uh, but Evan could. And so let's yeah. follow the lead of yep. Democrats in Utah yes. uh, who made a smart and pragmatic decision, which we don't always do. We don't, <laughs> we don't do it enough. So let's reward. So let's reward the smart decision, the savvy decision that Utah Democrats did. Uh, I think uh, Evan will be a, uh, a good and independent Senator from Utah. And I think that would be a, a, a race to watch and also a race Utah is a cheap state to communicate in. And yes. so another place where for a Senate race, uh, your money is going to go far. Yeah. So three things, I mean, Democrat and three things that Democrats traditionally haven't been very good at one, letting somebody else lead and following, <laughs> um, paying attention to local races, state, uh, legislatures and um what's the third one hold on a second oh yeah freaking supreme court which is yeah. everything it's not just it's not just a choice and voting rights it's climate change it's 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 everything and for whatever reason democrats never got that message i'm i'm really hoping that what happened yesterday is going to uh wake them up um so last week, just very spontaneously, I decided to ask my guest to come up with a bumper sticker and any good bumper stickers. I'm literally going to start selling them and uh, giving the money to candidates or whatever. Um, so my bumper sticker for tonight uh, is 2022 forced birth or freedom. Oh, so Kurt, I like it. Nice. I, I like no that. Forced Thanks. birth or freedom. Yeah. Well, sounds no like a punches that, I mean, Hey, I, I wish Democrats could message that concisely on everything. That would be nice. Well, we're, uh, what, we're Democrats. We're going to do this. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So I'm uh, my, my bumper sticker. Um, in keeping with this theme, um, gosh, see, now you put me on the spot. My brain's not working right now. Yeah. It's okay. No um, pressure. <laughs> I've been writing hashtags all day for people. So I have this stupid vote blue in 22 hashtag stuck in my head. 
Well, um, that's not bad. <laughs> so that's it doesn't original. really jump off the page, you know. It's I, I mean, forced birth of freedom. It kind of puts <laughs> vote blue at twenty two, kind of you know, <laughs> off the uh, off the. I, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass off the cliff and I'm gonna think for five seconds. You got it, Cliff. This may be too long for bumper sticker. This is just something I always say when it comes to messaging, which is um, tell truth as often as they lie. We'll use a smaller font. There you go. <laughs> and we'll make it like yellow uh, letters on a black background that because that really pops. So say it again. Tell truth as often as they lie. Awesome, Eric. <laughs> I haven't got one yet. I haven't got one yet, but I, I'm sort of workshopping. I, I, I think there's something there, the, 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 there's something to like this trade-off where what we're fighting for, and it, it goes back to you know what I mentioned before, like the transactional things, higher paychecks, yeah. uh, lower prescription drugs, yep. uh, things that can make regular people's lives better while theirs is, is this extremism. So I, 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 I don't know exactly what it is if it's like, Democrats higher paychecks for women, Republicans uh, sending women to prison. I don't know exactly what it is. Listen, we can just something there. There's we can plant there. the seeds because right, you know it's right. this is not it. We we have time to do this. We're time. just like well, I just want to get people thinking in in a way that's concise and you know packs a punch. Kurt, did you come up with anything or? Your life, your choice, your vote. Nice. I like it. All right. Uh, this is a very this is a very tough day um, for those of us who care about other human beings. So I am really grateful that you were all able to be here, even though I, I'm pretty sure this was not the conversation we were thinking about having. Um, so thank you for rolling with it, uh, Kurt Bardella, Eric Goldman. Cliff Schechter, I so appreciate all of you and the work you do. I know it's not easy. Um, so please keep it up. And um, I would love to have you back. We look love forward to, to it. Back. All right. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mary. So much, Happy Mary. birthday. All right. Stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Mary Trump Show Strategy Sessions. Uh, and I'm especially grateful to my guests, Kurt Bardella, Eric Goldman, Cliff Schechter, for joining me um, on a tough day. It's a very tough day. Uh, so just remember, you can catch the Strategy Sessions live every Tuesday night at youtube.com slash Politicon at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And of course, uh, there's our Thursday show, which is also on uh, youtube.com slash Politicon at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Also, you can listen to the podcast version of this uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please... Um, Give the show a five-star review because it really does help other people find the show. And I totally forgot. Follow Politicon on YouTube, like the episode, and and click on that bell because that way you will be sure to uh, be alerted every time uh, a new episode drops. I also want to remind all of you that I recently started a hybrid PAC political action committee called the Democracy Defense Fund. 
Uh, we will have the link in the show notes. Uh, it is a, a pack that is looking at the entire map. Um, and we are um, raising money for races that have real electoral significance, like the attorneys general and secretary of state races that we spoke about earlier. Uh, and one of our goals also is to help people understand what's at stake, understand what's happening with Republican voter suppression and voter subversion, which basically means they're undermining Americans' confidence in the validity of election results, which is incredibly dangerous and something we have never, ever faced in this country since uh, Donald started his big lie, uh, claiming that the 2020 election was stolen from him, which is not true. He lost really badly because he's a fucking loser. Anyway, um, I will be talking more about the Democracy Defense Fund as we go. And I so appreciate your being here. This is really, really important stuff. Uh, and I, I particularly appreciate it because I know this is a very dark day. Um, and it's great to have your support. Thank you. I will see you next week. Please be safe and be kind. <laughs>